Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Ed Peterson. Ed is the co-founder and CEO of Wrench Inc. The company was started with the mission to remove the hassle of vehicle ownership through trust, transparency, and convenience. Wrench operates throughout all 50 states, British Columbia, and Ontario, Canada, providing maintenance, repair, and vehicle inspection services to consumers and enterprises. Ed is a serial entrepreneur, having founded multiple companies, including Intellius, TalentWise, UnionStreet.com, Local Mobile, and Pantheon. These companies have provided approximately $1 billion in exits to their collective shareholders. While leading Wrench, he was a 2020 Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalist, and in 2021, Wrench was recognized by Forbes as one of the best places to work in the nation. Ed graduated from Whittier College with degrees in business administration and history and served for several years as a member of the Board of Trustees. Ed is also an active angel investor in the Seattle area, having invested in numerous startups over the years. Welcome, Ed. So good to see you. Likewise. Good to see you as well. Thanks for inviting me on. Of course. Of course. Okay. So we're starting with some rapid fire bucket list, ski resort mm -hmm. or location that you're just like, I have to go there before I'm no longer so skiing. I spent a lot of, I shouldn't say this uh, or admit this. I spent a lot of time at Whistler. Of course, I'm still, you know, running the company and so forth. So a lot, you know, is all relative, but so it's still my favorite spot in the world. Um, but, you know, I've never skied in, in Europe and I've never skied in Japan. I, I have skied pretty much everywhere else in the U.S., but I have never been to Europe and I've never skied in Japan. And I would love yeah. to go to either of those like and have that experience. Like ski in Switzerland or Japan. Yeah, I think Japan no, is just, amazing. Uh, likewise, right? And so, yeah, I, I, I would love to have that experience at some point. So when All I, right, we got to make it happen. Not, Okay, what exactly. was it since yeah. this is linked to wrench and the whole theme okay. around? Okay, so what was your very first car? Oh boy. Uh, so my personally, my first car was actually sort of funny, funny question. Uh, I, uh, my grandfather gave me a old Ford Taurus with a huge side swipe down the, uh, <laughs> the passenger side. I will tell you that it was not as hip and cool as it sounds. It was, but it ran and it got me from point A to point B at that point in time. So I was yeah. very, very happy. You just need wheels, um, but I get it as yeah, a high schooler yeah. or like young kids. Yeah, like, college, yeah. College. Not <laughs> yeah, so cool. Yeah, so not not yeah, as cool yeah. as you might think, right? Yeah, but, but it worked. That's it was funny. great. You know, got the job done, but then, yeah, no, but I definitely am kind of a car guy. So, you know. Well, okay. So this isn't on my list, yeah. but I'm just curious, what's your dream car? Like you win the lottery and it is, you don't have to be worried to about, be bit, don't worry yeah. about how people perceive your choice. Just seriously, I'd what's never your dream do. car? No. Um, yeah. You know, I think if it was just available, you know, you'd want the 250 California uh, Ferrari, right? But it's probably one of the most rare cars on the planet. planet. Um, but yeah, I, I, I Red Italian cars are really cool. I love oh. Formula One. I like, you know, uh, well, I still 
watch Formula One all the time. Ferrari is having a terrible year, by the way, and the last two years. Um, it's the reason why I would not buy a Mercedes. I'm very angry about Formula One because they always seem to win. <laughs> oh, got Weird, it. I know. You're I know. I'm very guy. strange. You're yeah. So, but I, well, and I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, if you could be a famous actor, rock star, athlete, or author, which one would you choose? Eddie Van Halen. God. Rock star. You better, well, Are you, specifically him. <laughs> specifically, you'd want to be Eddie Van Halen? You better believe it, yeah. Because of I all the guitars it. in back of you. That's why. It's the coolest yeah. instrument in the world. I can't, I can't take any credit for those, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. guessing that you're an extrovert, but sometimes mm -hmm. people say, no, I'm an introvert, like posing as an extrovert out of necessity. Are you a full extrovert? Yeah, you know, kind of. I, you know, I don't need to go out to giant, you know, party all the time, you know, be around lots of people. But, you know, I certainly love, it's one of the reasons why we love The Office, right? I mean, you know, even in the, you know, the world in which we're living in right now with, you know, with COVID and how, you know, sensitive we are to groups. I mean, you know, you, you miss that interaction. You miss that, uh, that connection, that socialization. And I think it's a big component to, you know, not just business, but also life. And so it's, it really is important. So I, I do. I do enjoy that. Yeah. Well, you're an energy giver. So I was just curious if you also <laughs> need to get energy from other people, which is, I guess, how they would define it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're getting it from the office. That's great. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the best thing that you have read, listened to, or seen in this past year? Oh, boy. Um, read, listened to, or seen. So, you know, the past, actually, you know, I did, so I do read a bunch, but the Netflix, the chess, what's the... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Gambit. 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 Uh, I thought it was yeah. amazing. I, yeah, I got sucked yeah. into that. So that's like the last thing that I've been totally like, kind of like, oh, wow. I can't wait. I thought that was really, really a cool, cool show. Um, you know, I, I've read, you know, a bunch of stuff just around kind of, you know, you know, like, I think it's Annie Duke is uh, mm. you know, the author for... The poker? Uh, uh, no, she's the... Um, she, the, uh, uh, has the book about just data and kind of you know, oh yeah 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 on, on that's an important thing so there's a lot that. written yeah. on that right yes. now yes yeah you know that and then I think you know that you know some of uh, John Doerr's books are good uh, that are brand you know the other I hate saying this is a Seattleite and a huge Husky fan the other book that I read a while back and it's been over a year now I mean, it was last year is the uh, is the Nike and I say that just as an oh. entrepreneur. I thought oh, this was Phil a Knight, fascinating Phil Knight book. The Phil Knight book, the shoe dog yeah, book. Shoe From dog an books. entrepreneurial perspective, is awesome. Yeah. It really is. Because I'm you kind of look at Nike, right? Yeah, right. You look at that and you're like, what are a, a big formal corporation? And then you read like the what it took to get it to where it is. Totally. And it's like selling you know, the shoes the out of the trunk. The, yeah. Totally, right? And some of the crazy things they did, right? Just on getting the company to survive and getting it to where it was. I mean, it's a yeah. I, I thought it was a really neat story. Um you know, similarly, you know, the Roy Crook story, you know, uh, the founder is a great, you know, I think is, is a great kind of, you know, uh, example of another just sort of a, a good story of how hard it yeah. is to build, you know, uh, brands like that. So, yeah. yeah. So that, okay, that's so here's, my, here's my next question. Yeah. Beach, beach mm -hmm. or mountains? Uh, both. So <laughs> depends on what time of year. And what it's mood so I'm hard to be able to answer I like that to one. ski and I, I know. Huh? Yeah. So um, we... Yeah, you know, the internet, so ski, Whistler, um, and people always ask me this, would you go to Hawaii? Don't take this the wrong way. Good people in Hawaii. Not, I, I don't spend a lot of time in Hawaii. Mexico? Are you love, Mexico? Love going to the Caribbean, spend a lot of time in the British Virgin Islands. <laughs> so, yeah. And what's your, what's your favorite cuisine? 
Um, Dick Striven, yeah, deluxe cheese fry, <laughs> chocolate Seattle. shake. No, no, it's like I threw that you're, in there as a Seattle. You're making yeah. me hungry. I know, huh? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I'm kind of you know love barbecue. You know, love salmon. I'm your classic quintessential Seattle guy, guy, right? Yeah, yeah, I am, right? You know, I, so that's, I won't that's order a perfect salmon out. Yeah. Perfect segue because that's yeah. uh, you're the Seattle guy. So you grew up here. You grew up in Seattle. And how would you describe um, like how that defines you? What does it mean to you when you're traveling in the world to say I'm a Seattleite? Um, you know, it's kind of morphed and changed, right? And it's kind of uh, interesting is uh, the city has grown in notoriety so much over the last few decades, right? You've kind of had these I sort of call them, there's these three different booms that have happened in the city. You know, you kind of have the Microsoft California-ish boom, you know, and then you had the sort of the, the grunge boom, you know, the, the Kurt Cobain, if you will, effect where people went out and bought the album, never mind, watched the movie single and decided to move to Seattle. And then you have now this big Amazon movement. And so it sort of has changed, you know, your definition of the city and what it means to be here. And I do have a sense of pride of that I am a multi-generational Seattleite, you know, my family's been here for a long time. Um, and so I have a sense of pride in that, but it really has sort of my perspective originally was like, no, let me tell you how cool Seattle is. It's this little town up in, you know, in, in, in the Northwest and, you know, or as we used to sort of joke, Southern Alaska almost, right? But I think uh, Matt Hasselbeck said that at one point, but, um, you know, now you're kind of like, oh boy, yeah, everyone knows where it is. Everyone, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And how, how would you describe your childhood growing up here? And what were you kind of into back as a kid? Um. So always have sort of been into uh, entrepreneurial type things. I always wanted to run, and I, I mean, from a very young age, always wanted to run and own my own business. I mean, I, there's just, I can't think back at a time where I did not want to do that. <laughs> and is that because um, you can't work for someone else or because you have too many ideas? Like, have you worked um, for someone else before? I have, you know, without a doubt, not very well, but no, I'm kidding. I, I mean, I'm not that bad, I don't think. Um, the, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was always sort of the joke. I said, I'm unemployable, which is very true now. Um, yeah, no, I think, um, you, you know, you just sort of had this feeling of like being wanting to be in control of your own destiny and, and, and having the freedom to be able to sort of, you know, build and follow through on your own ideas and, and try things on your own and so forth. And I think that's always sort of been at the root of, uh, of, of that for me. Um, I love the creative process of, of problem solving and then taking those problems from sort of idea stage to, you know, structure stage to then implementation stage. And so, um, you know, that's been it. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of great large companies where you can do some of those things. I, it's just mm -hmm. never been sort of my, you know, my, my fit, right? I've always yeah. wanted and, to and kind of be- And how old were you? How old were you, Ed, when you realized, like, I think I want to do this? And what was the first idea? Oh, wow. Gosh, you know, well, it's funny when you say, when did I realize it? I mean, I had, we had a family friend who actually owns some car washes around Seattle, but she, you know, owns car wash, the, the Brown Bear car washes. And I always like thought they were super cool because their, their dad owned the Brown Bear car wash. I was like, oh, there's one. And they run that. And so that was always honestly as weird as that sounds when I was probably like in like fourth grade. You know, I was like, that is the coolest thing. You're going to run your own business. Wow. That is amazing to me. And so it always sort of built from there through high school into college. And then, you know, I was CEO of my first company when I was, I think, 24, which is longer ago than I will admit. Um, and uh, back when it was uncool to be a 20 something year old CEO. And so mm -hmm. I've always just sort of, you know, uh, you know, built and, and learned as I was going, um, mm -hmm. you know, the first 
idea that we have, we're all technology, you know, based, they're all, you know, software based. How do you take, you know, technology and, and, and streamline, you know, kind of processes to problem solve. And that was, that was always, you know, growing up in Seattle too, you're, you are exposed, you know, more to technology at a early age, if you will, sort of in the normal course of your life than you are probably somewhere else, you know, I mean, you've got Microsoft here, right. And, you know, all, all those sorts of things. Right. And so, you know, that was sort of that draw to it. When you were in high school, mm-hmm. um, were you doing sports? Were you into music yeah. and, were you, and were you working? Uh, I did work a little bit, you know, first job, you know, I was a, uh, the bus boy at the old spaghetti factory down and, uh, you know, you know, that which is total digression which was really funny because one of my good friends now is the CEO of the old spaghetti factory. And I always kind of laugh at them. I'm like, Hey, I'm an alumni. I started that. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was actually literally the first real job I ever had, which was by the way, a great job. Um, but yeah, you know, I, it just kind of, you know, the, the whole thought of business and how businesses work and how they, how they grow and how, you know, what the problem solving is that goes into running a business, building a business, creating solutions for businesses is just always been, you know, since, yeah, a really mm-hmm. early age, even, you know, as funny as it sounds, even starting it like that first job, you know, uh, you yeah. know it, it was always interesting to me. And how were you in school? Was school easy for you? Because I, I do find I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are, it's, it seems to me like one of the two, like yeah. either I excelled and I crushed school mm-hmm. or like that wasn't really my jam. And yeah. super curious if that, if there were teachers who along the way either propelled that thinking of I could be successful mm-hmm. or put doubt in your mind that you could be successful. So not doubt. I was blessed with really good teachers. So, um, but you know, it's kind of, it's such an interesting question because I, I would tell you that I'm I, neither. Um, and this is a little bit of my personality, which is why I feel like I'm an entrepreneur, which is if I'm really interested into it, I crushed it. If it was sort of a boring class and I didn't really like it or didn't like the teacher, sounds terrible, but you know, eh, you know, kind of mail it in. Um, and so, but you know, you know I, I went to, you know, Franklin here in Seattle, Franklin high school and Quakers um, and had a great experience. It really was a great school. And there were a lot of teachers that were very, very influential, you know, to me there, you know, I still remember them. I, you know, we had mock trial with, you know, Rick Nagel was Mr. Nagel was, you know, just a huge influence and really, really positive. I had a very strong math teacher, a guy by the name of Mr. Bender, you know, who just, you know, really made subjects like that fun and, and interesting and engaging. And so, you know, it did really, really well there. I then went to uh, Whittier College, which is a small mm-hmm. school down in, in California. You know, it's yeah. kind of interesting. How did Seattle, you choose Whittier? Because, right? yeah, I saw Whittier. I'm like, how yeah. did you choose Whittier? Yeah, you know, they had a palm tree on the brochure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, they, uh, the, um, I am a, uh, also a multi-generational, everyone in my family has some sort of degree from the UW. And so I grew up going to Husky games all the time, you know, always very loyal to that school, but I kind of had this epiphany living on Queen Anne, growing up in Queen Anne, that there's got to be a little bit more than traveling, you know, a quarter mile or, you know, three quarters of a mile to go to college. And so I wanted to, um, to, you know, get out of the school. Originally, I wanted to go to law school. And so um, I wanted to get out of Seattle. Um, didn't want to go back east. Kind of, I'm a West Coast guy by far, um, you know. Uh, and so, um, wanted to go to a small school. And Whittier uh, was just. It was, I think, at that point, like the number three ranked small liberal arts school in the country. It, uh, you know, their acceptance rate for grad school. Like, if you wanted to go to grad school and you went through Whittier, it was like at like ninety something percent. And so I was like, ah, I kind of at that point wanted to go to law school. I was thinking potentially even. Um, and so. 
yeah, that was kind of it. It was it was a really a great fit. I mean, I loved Franklin. You blossomed even more at Whittier. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't have the academic rigors of you know going to Lakeside. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, you felt challenged yeah. and inspired at Whittier. And what did you study in yeah. school? And was that like kind of still preparing you thinking for potentially law school? Yeah, kind of until about halfway through, and then I had a couple of friends who were really influential on me. Uh, as well as professors, but friends who are really influential on me saying, you know, why the heck do you want to go to law school? The tech world is going to blow up. You don't want to miss it. And I mean, I just still remember that conversation with a good friend of mine who's uh, uh, actually at HP and, you know, him saying to me, you know, sitting down, like, we don't want to do this. You're going to miss out. We need mm. to go now. We need to get involved in the yeah. technology industry right now. And it was the right timing. I mean, it's he's exactly yeah. right. That for, I'm assuming it's a he. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep, yeah. That's awesome. And he, yeah. So that that was it. But yeah, you no, know, have a business degree and a history degree. Um, I almost would tell you that the history degree is more impactful than the business degree in business. I know. I know that sounds weird. I've heard people say um, that from a from a perspective of seeing patterns. Yeah, and it's just kind of, you know, problem solving to me is all the same, you know, no matter what industry you're in, medicine, business, you know, you take your, you know, being a lawyer, your your basic, you know, structure for problem solving, which is one of the things that, uh, you know, like a place like Whittier really kind of helped me kind of formalize, um, is, I mean, it really is kind of similar. And, and, and the catch of the business side is you're kind of learning a very specific thing, you know, hey, business, all right, all right here's your accounting class and here's your, you know, uh, mm. you know, operations class, your org structure, all that kind of stuff. You know, the history side is almost sort of learning from things that people in a real world situation have done and how that had an impact, not just now, but in the future as well, right? Like, you know, and, and so I, I, I look back on a lot of that as, you know, history repeats itself. And and, uh, you know, there's, and so anyway, I, I always kind of look back on that. And I'm like, I almost look at even on the education side, the history side of it was was more interesting to me than the business side. So. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And so what did you pursue straight out of school? What was your first job? And how did you even go about finding it? Boy, and I, so I came out, you know, in, in a time period where the country was not in the most conducive job market. Um, knew I wanted to go back to Seattle. Um, I went, I got a job at a, at a advertising agency called Ogilvy and Mather, which is oh, I remember them, big, yeah. Yeah, yeah, big ad agency. And they had at that point in time, the Microsoft account. And this is how long ago that was. And so I was, you know, I, I could try and make it sound very glamorous, but I think there were two words that were said to me a lot. One was collate and, you know, the work, the copy machine, and the other was pizza delivery. But, um, so, uh, you know, I started there as a, you know, sort of your, you know, ground floor guy, um, helping out, uh, manage a lot of that Microsoft account for, um, you know, uh, for the ad agency. Um, the account was actually run by, uh, the agency out of LA, but they needed people in Seattle to sort of manage things. So it was a good fit. Um, and then of course, those guys parted ways and I was like, oh geez, I need a job. So then I started uh, um, jumping right onto the entrepreneurial uh, path. And I went to a small software company and I really dating myself. I, 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 I feel yeah. bad that I'm going to give you our, the full C, you know, CV here, but um, called Numera Software, which is way back and you know, a long time ago. And uh, I'm still friends with the then CEO and that eventually got sold. And then I started my own companies from there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, so you started yeah. your own company like age 24. Yeah. And yep. how did you, yeah. so 
I always love, this is like half the reason why I even started this podcast to yeah. begin with, is it's like, yeah. to me, I love those early days. And that's when the energy is yeah. like at its height, right? When you're yeah. just like, okay, so is it like you have this idea and how do you fund it? And who do you start yeah. it with? And in what order do those things happen? Like yeah. walk me through if you're telling your kids, like this is like, how you start a company. You know, holy cow. I, I So there's two things that I always tell people. One is you'd never know what you're getting into, but two, you've just got to be all in. There's, you know, I've talked to a few entrepreneurs over the years where they're like, you know, we're kind of doing this on the weekends, but I've got a full-time gig. And if we get to this point, then we might quit our jobs. It does not work. You're either in or you're out. I just, there's nothing worth doing that is not going all in 100%, just make it happen. Um, the first company, the funniest thing I would tell you, um, you know, the, so my first co-founder and I were, um, he was 19 and I was, you know, you know, early twenties, mid twenties. And so I was the old guy, as funny as that sounds. And, um, you know, we didn't know what in the world we were doing. And we were the first cup of coffee at Starbucks in Pioneer Square and the last cup of coffee before they closed literally every day. And I'm not suggesting that we were working harder. We just didn't know what we were doing. So we probably had to do everything two or three times because we're like, oh, oops, <laughs> oh, oops, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so um, I think, you know, as you go, you get a little more efficient at those things, to be honest. Um, what but, was the business and what was the business model? So, yeah, that was Union Street. And so Union Street was kind of interesting because it was um, – uh, we had a wireless platform, this, you know, in the, in the 90s, a wireless platform that uh, basically was a was the first piece of technology that separated out really kind of the, the presentation layer and the database layer for data. And so we managed, it was a personal information management system that allowed you to access your email on a desktop, on a, a cell phone, or a, any other wireless device all with a unified backend. And so um, the pitch there was to go out and we were selling to wireless carriers. And we would say, hey, look, you're running data through these wireless carriers, whether it's a news alert, whether it's a weather, a stock ticker, uh, you know, email, text, you know, whatever, and not as much text, but um, email calendaring, to-do list, yeah. those types of things. Wow. We were the, uh, one of the first companies to put those on uh, on a phone. And so- And how, how did you even up, know what you were doing? Yeah. Um, we didn't, that would be the argument, um, but we're fast learners, right? And that's where I kind of come back to, um, I don't think you ever really know. I mean, you know, if you look at Wrench, I mean, we just thought this was a cool problem to yeah. solve. Yeah, and but your, so, Wrench is an example of like, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I know what that is. And that makes sense. And that is a problem that's solving some of these yeah. other companies with even like half our clients are like mm -hmm. data, blah, blah, cloud, blah, yeah. blah. Like the, some of those things are a little bit less you know, less easy to digest, you know? No and so this, com this company was successful, right? That your first company? Yeah, we, we sold it. It's one of those things where you kind of looked at it and was it, it was more successful hitching the wagon to a bigger horse than going it alone. And we ended up selling it to way back then, a company called Infospace, which is a big mm -hmm. wireless you know, data aggregator. Um, yeah. And it worked out really well. Yeah. You know, and so we uh, went around and signed up all the rest of the carriers. And, and, you know, if you've got a piece of data that came through your phone and, you know, the late nineties to 2000 ish, you know, 2001, you know, chances are in the U S most of that came through our software. That's incredible. I mean, that yeah. alone minus half your other things, because, you know, you've done so many of these companies and had successful exits and acquisitions. You yeah. could just have stopped there and been like, look, at that's awesome. But you've got this bug yep. to like start over. And so um, how was it being acquired? The comment I make to our internal crew 
is no one buys crappy companies and crappy companies don't go public. Why don't you stay focused on building a great company and then good things will happen. And so from, uh, you know, that, that is the one comment I always make to people because, you know, if you get to the point where you have a good company and someone is knocking on your door, that's a whole different, you're in a better position, right? And that's a whole different path to go down. And, you know, then you just kind of start going through what do you want to do? You know, what is the best spot? Because there are a lot of great pieces of technology that are, you know, better hitched to a, a bigger horse and can do some cool things. And so, you know, it's kind of a whole thought process you would go through on that, uh, on that evaluation. And, you know, yeah, I've done that a few times and, uh, and, and it's, you know, generally worked out pretty well. Um, the, you know, the culture question, um, it's the hardest part. You know, I always kind of joke, it's really easy to buy companies, right? I've bought more companies than I can count over my career and, you know, negotiating a price and writing a check is pretty straightforward, right? And so the catch is how do you merge and integrate in multiple companies, you know, with, with clearly every company has their own unique culture and understanding that and how to, how to, to make sure that those two things can merge is really, really important because that's, you know, equally as important as having a good integration, a tactical integration plan, right? Because to your point, you know, it's the old comment, the assets ride the elevators, right? If you can't keep, you know, the teams, you know, cohesive and excited and engaged, it's a lot harder to, you know, to execute an acquisition. Totally. And then also like how much courting and vetting goes into the people, like who have you gotten into business with and how has that gone? Um, so people is the biggest and hardest challenge and the most important challenge of building any company, I would tell you at any level. Um, no one is the perfect candidate either, though. Um, I don't believe in the three month interview cycle, you know, come in for three separate days, we put you in the back room with a light hanging down and water dripping, and it's a battle of attrition type interview cycle. Um, we have a pretty straightforward process. We and I, and I think the reason why I say this is, we know our culture really well at Wrench, and I've tried to do this at every company, we know who we are, we know what type of people will be successful at Wrench. Mm -hmm. And everyone always says, Oh, I want to join a startup. And I'm, a, you know, I like to be you know, I, I want to join a startup and often most people don't really understand what a startup is. Um, I really am a, an independent person and most people don't really understand what that means either. And there are certain ways you can step through that. But I think the most important thing to be able to do that is to understanding your own culture as a, as a company and what, what are the things that just make your company you. And mm -hmm. um, it allows you then to know who to look for. And, and how, you can you elaborate to, on yeah. wrench specifically? Yeah. Like when you, you say know, this is our culture and these are the types of people, because yeah. maybe someone listening mm -hmm. wants to work with you. Yeah, no doubt. I'll tell you, we're very straightforward. You know, our, so I have one a, a big philosophical belief, no matter what company we're bu building, running at whatsoever, which is no complex problem is, sol is solved well in isolation. We are a very collaborative environment. It's one of the reasons why we like the office. I think that Zoom calls, quite frankly, are not good for, you know, iterative creative processes. And we have a very socialized, iterate, decide, communicate process in our culture. That is it. And we do not believe that, you know, we don't have this, I hate org structures. They just, I mean, org charts drive me absolutely nuts. Um, and, and the reason being is that most of the good ideas come from a lot of different spots and it's never generally one 
key person. There might be someone who's sort of thinking about it and steering it, but not, you know, doing it in isolation. And so understanding that culture, you know, and understanding that problem solving is iterative and, and is social, um, you know, it, it, it does take a look. It's, it's, it's a free form structure, right? It's not necessarily, you know, this, all right, at two o'clock today, we are all going to, you know, read up on this problem and then everyone's going to come in and we'll have it solved by two 30. We just, we don't work that way for whatever it is worth. And so, but we understand that. And so we're pretty open about that as a, uh, you know, as how we, how we operate. Mm-hmm. And have you had any leaders that you've looked up to as mentors? Like I want to kind of take a little nugget from this person, yeah. a little nugget from that um, yeah. in a formal way or more just like on the, in the backside, I'm kind of observing this leader. Yeah. So, well, you know, from the business side of people I've worked with, I still, you know, Naveen, you know, Naveen Jain, who's, you know, a serial entrepreneur as well. Love him. He's awesome. And, you know, um, smart as can be and and fun to work with and just an amazing problem solving guy. And so I still reach out to him, talk to him quite a bit. Um, And, you know, um, our board guys are great, right? I I don't know. We've got a couple of advisory guys that I work with. I don't think you know, one of the problems that uh, CEOs often run into is they think that it's a sign of weakness to actually have other people around and help them out. You know, <laughs> I don't think that. I think that, you know, if you can get advisors in there to kind of help you out and to kind of brainstorm through things, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really is important. So, you know, like Len Jordan over at Madrona has just been awesome for us. Um, he's an amazing guy, right? And we have been blessed with a really cool board like that. You know, Ben Boyer, we also have Scott Nagel on our board, who's the president of Redfin. And he has been really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's people like that, but those are the kind of the structured conversations, you know, like your board is sort of your formal structured, you know, you kind of are a little more buttoned up talking to those guys at times. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, I do have, you know, a couple of advisors that are more formal and the more informal, as I said, like Naveen is very informal, right? We go out and have a glass of wine and, you know, just, you know, brainstorm stuff. And, you know, um, I've got some formal guys like, you know, that are just sort of formal advisors to the company that, you know, just had lunch with one before we hopped on this call, a guy by the name of John Lazarus, who's just, you know, a, you know, a really old. Did you say John, John Lazarus? Yeah. Lazarus. I know John you know, Lazarus. He, oh, yeah. oh yeah. So yeah, he's great. Right. So he's, you know, been involved with Ranch and is just really a great sounding board for us. But again, yeah. you, know, you know, in between sort of that, you know, that, that, those, those buckets, right. Your board bucket, your advisory bucket, and then mm-hmm. kind of your friend bucket. Right. And, yeah. uh, I just think that, you know, um, getting different perspectives in and getting different coaching from different people, even as, you know, look, I've been at this a long time, not just wrench, but just the tech world entrepreneurial side, right? And I still feel like every day I should be a sponge and a student of, you oh, know, totally. entrepreneurialism, Absolutely. you know, all of that stuff. And so the more kind of inputs I can get, you know, it's really helpful to me. Yeah. And which of these companies that you've started and, and, and sold have felt like the biggest learning moment for you in your career? You know, I, I think they're all different, um, all learning moments, um, you know, total digression, but, you know, I always say this because learning is like the key to everything. I always say this to my kids and, you know, and you start with that foundation at a very young age, you've got to, you've got to drill in the excitement of learning and the excitement of exploring things. And that curiosity is really, really important. Um, I'm 
I live somewhat close to my parents, let's just say on Queen Anne. And I, when I get up and go for a run in the morning when my dad was still working, he's since retired, but I used to, uh, I used to kind of laugh even when he was in his seventies, I go run around the top of Queen Anne Hill. And if I could get back by their house before he left for the, he's a doctor before he left for the hospital, I would think I was really cool. I was like, yes. And now of course he's left. And I'm like, why are you still working? It's like, man, the intellectual drive of getting in there and, you know, helping people and doing all those things. Yeah. I, I'm in. Well, he's I that model. He's a model for you. He, that's it. Right. I mean, a huge one. What it, what it, as far as you go, if you were to be a hired gun, even though mm-hmm. you can't work for other people, but if someone were to hire you right now, yeah. are you the product guy? Are you the sales guy, the strategy guy? You're not, you're not a yeah. tech, you're not like an, an engineer. No, um, not an engineer. So what's your kind of uh, ninja skill? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and this is one of the challenges I think you run into as a CEO is you become more of a generalist, you know, and, and which is kind of drives you nuts. And because I think most people who start companies like to work, you know what I mean? Like, I like to get in and build spreadsheets and actually figure out all the inner workings of products and be involved in specs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you really, you, you can't at that level. You've got to kind of somewhat step back. Um, but, you know, I think I naturally gravitate towards you know, the business strategy, you know, business side, and then product, you know, and I started in product, you know, but, you know, those, those are the two things that I think come most naturally to me. It probably drives our product and our business team here nuts because I stick my nose in there a lot. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm not doing code reviews, if you will. Yeah. No, I think it's awesome. So tell me, I know you said you started Wrench because there was a problem Mm -hmm. to solve. Yeah. And it's such an obvious problem. And I love that you said Mercedes because I have one of these, like, I have the kick ass, like, vroom, vroom, awesome Mercedes, like a GL. Yeah. 63 i don't even know what it's called yeah yeah but i love this car but um my light keeps coming on (laughs) and i'm like i think i got a lemon but tell me tell tell our listeners who don't know wrench um what the business is and what's the business model yeah so you know to your earlier point the great thing about wrench is honestly you can explain it in a bloody elevator which is different for most tech companies yeah you know look we're a marketplace that connects automotive uh experts with vehicle owners and there are two primary things we do. We do inspections. And so for instance, there are 41 million used cars sold every year in the United States. The vast majority of those have never been looked at by a mechanic. And it may have a nice coat of wax on it, but no one's ever looked at the thing. And so we are the largest provider in the US of pre-purchased used car pre-purchased inspections. And so we do a ton of that kind of stuff where we're going out and looking at a car, you know, verifying that it's a good car, um, and, and providing a report back to, you know, people like you, if you're going to go out mm-hmm. and, you know, buy who, a new, who pays for uh, that? New to your car. The, the seller or the buyer? Most of the time, the buyer pays for that, right? The buyer is generally the one who is going out. And I mean, and it goes all up and down the board. Like we mm-hmm. do, you know, RV inspections, exotic cars, you know, right. uh, your regular car, standard car, if you will, motorcycles and everything in between. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're really, really good at that. And then we also have this big maintenance and repair business. And that is... 85-ish percent of the stuff you would take your Mercedes into a shop or a dealer or what have you, we can do on location. And it is all about trust, transparency, convenience, you know, trust, you know, who's showing up, you know, what they're good at, you know, their reviews, you know, our reviews, uh, transparency, you know, how much it's going to cost and convenience. You can go on to wrench.com and schedule your job and, you know, about a minute, maybe a minute and a half. And we'll be there within, you know, usually 24, 48 hours to fix your problem. And it's, whether it's that flashy light that's going off and you need, you know, a 50,000 mile tune up or whether it's, you know, your, uh, you know, 
you're, you need new brakes or, you know, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. we're really good, uh, you know, in that spot. And the biggest difference on these two as well on the wrench side is, you know, we actually hire the technicians on the maintenance and repair side. So they are wrench employees. And we do yeah. that for quality assurance reasons. And because it's a logistically intense problem, you know, fixing a car is not easy. So, mm -hmm. um, so we stand and behind all how do the, how do the people, if I'm a consumer and I'm going to go buy a used car, how do I find out about wrench? Is it like, here's my pamphlet that comes with the, like, oh, and you should call wrench as like a service suggestion. Yeah. Most people actually go out, look at a car, find a car online, you know, you're on cars.com or offer up, right. And you see a car and they look at it like, wow, this is a really cool car. The vast majority of people right now buy a car based on two things make and model like i like mercedes like you and price you know what what check can i write mm -hmm. that's really it location you know <laughs> where it is really isn't that big of a deal you can get the car brought to you right and so the challenge they get there is they don't know anything more than that and so then generally what happens is they either a see you an, our ad within some of those spots or they go out to google and use car inspection the first thing that pops up is our lemon squad brand and so lemon squad is awesome. our consumer facing brand for used car inspections very cool. So they, okay. Yeah. And, and so how do you make money? How, what's the business model? Transactional based, right? And so, you know, we so you get a we percentage a of the. Well, so no, it's actually, it is our, 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 so we go out and so like for a basic inspection, you know, let's call it around 200 bucks, 175 to $225 to have us go out and look at a car. Um, we then uh, facilitate the whole process. We, okay. You know, so it's not a shared we, revenue model with like. It is. The, with with like offer up or with it's not or, no okay. so it is not so um what we do is we actually you go through lemon squad we deploy a person to go out and look at the car uh, that person then you know goes uses our software that ase certified mechanic uses our software to go through the process and uh and do the inspection and you know take photos road test you know run a bunch of you know mechanical tests those sorts of things we then turn that into a more consumer friendly so that you and I can understand it report. And that is delivered back to the buyer and then they can make their decision where they want to buy the car or not. It's such a good idea. I love it, love it, love it. And I'm curious how you came up with it. Cause I, you know, I've had a lot of different um, clients yeah. and also just friends on this podcast. And I love that part. Like, was it like an in the shower yeah. story or a friend and I can solve that? You know, so the original part was that uh, my last company was in downtown Bellevue and I was on Queen Anne. So I was driving over to Bellevue all the time. And I was one of these very unusual people. And it is unusual people who do that, and it, which is I still was taking the car to the dealer, no matter how old the thing was. Um, and, and that's not a knock on the dealer. Just most people don't do that. Right. You kind of get to a certain point where you're like that. Eh. But it was really a pain. I mean, you know, and they treated me well, by the way. You know, the dealers do, they treat you well. But driving from Queen Anne all the way over to Bellevue to go to the dealer and then figuring out how to get home, dropping the car off was just a massive This, ha this literally happened to me on Friday. Yes. Like, so was this total, was where the idea show. came from, yeah. right? Yes, exactly, right? And so I was like, oh, there's got to be a better way to do this. And originally, as a tech person, right, we were like, we should just build the software and, you know, just tell people what's wrong and blah, blah. And they were like, man, that doesn't really solve the problem, right? The, you've got to fix the problem. The problem is 
most people are like what you just said about your car. There's some light going on. I don't know what it is. And you're like, I don't know. Is the gas cap on wrong or is the car going to explode? Who knows, right? You totally. Know? And, and so, right? I mean, that's what you're kind of thinking. I mean, that's what I think, right? I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just, my, my way of diagnosing a vehicle, and our guys get really angry when I say this, but my way of diagnosing the car is, you know, if I turn the key and it starts, it's all, we're all good, right? And I just go, right? And yeah. if it doesn't work, then we got a problem, right? And so, you know, so... It, I really came at it from what is the consumer's problem that you've got to solve and how do you solve the consumer issue? And anyway, so that's really kind of where it came from. It was just out of a, a 100%, you know, mm -hmm. Casey, Doug, and I, the three of us that started the company, sitting down and brainstorming what was a, a, an interesting problem to solve. We from there went into, all right, what are our skill sets and mm. what are we How, how did you know how Casey that? Fit? So they both worked for me. And so Casey was, um, uh, Casey, I feel a little bit bad for him. I'm the only boss he's really technically had. I hired him out of the UW at my last company, the poor guy. And um, so he's, you know, just sort of stuck with me. No, I think um, the opposite. Yeah. I think he's like, he saw gold and he's like, I'll have some <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, Doug was um, our data science guy, our, mm. head of all of our data services um, at my last company, Intellius. And so um, just a big, deep, data, you know, understands how to scale mm. large engineering team. He's your classic Stanford, awesome. When you're thinking CTO Stanford guy, that's That's Doug. your guy. So you've Artists got an awesome, be, yeah. an awesome, yeah. uh, you know, group, the co-founders, you're going to build this mm -hmm. thing. So who's yeah. the very first, not human by name, but like role yeah. that you go to hire? Is it a mechanic? <laughs> um, yeah, partly actually the very first guy, and you'll you'll laugh. The very first guy. The reason why I say you'll laugh is I'm sitting in the conference room that's named after him, and he's still here. as a guy by the name of Eddie Strickler, who was our first engineer to come in and help build, uh, build, um, uh, help build the software with us. And so he was the first guy that came on board. We named the conference room after him because we had this that's little awesome. teeny office. We had, well, we, it's really sort of a funny story. We had this little teeny office, and we were oh yeah, and and what would be a normal person's office we were using as a conference room, but it still had a, a nameplate like thing on it. And we came in one Hilarious. day and he had put his, he put his name on the office with his little that's nameplate. So so we're like, that's hilarious. You're going to be stuck. So the you, conference start, you start with an you. engineer. Yeah. And you start with an engineer. We started what, with an engineer. And at yeah. what point do you focus on, I guess you have to get your mechanics and then you focus on marketing. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And so uh, Casey and I, right or wrong, we tell you, we feel like we're pretty good at that. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we, we started, you know, all right, how do we build and things? And, and there's always, this is the interesting thing about starting companies too, is you've got this balancing act because you are going to create a tech deficit for yourself because if you don't, you will not get anything to market fast enough mm -hmm. to verify that your problem is actually worth solving. And so, you know, we really wanted to get stuff to market very, very quick. I mean, it's one of the great things about the internet, right? I mean, you can get instant results and instant feedback, particularly on consumer-facing consumer, uh, yeah, solutions. Like Right. You know, it's just like, wow. All right. You know, you always tell people you can get somebody to click on your, you know, your, your, your ad or your link or what have you, you probably got something. Right. And so, you know, so Casey and I really kind of focused on that side, Doug and Eddie focused on the, on the engineering side. Um, and yeah, we were off to the races. Right. And then to your point, we started hiring technicians. First guy we've hired is still here. And oh, so, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we have done really well, and that's like kind of bringing them into the fold and kind of managing. And it's an interesting dynamic in this company, right? Because we have the technicians, the mechanics, right? And there's, you know, it's a, you know, it's a different, you know, industry, right? It's a different world than your classic technology industry. And we've, right. we really have, have focused on how do we merge those two together 
and uh and yeah and it's, it's my brain well. right before the podcast went to because i'm like the ultimate connector mm-hmm. i'm always thinking like oh this one should meet that one and i was like yeah. oh there's these incredible um technicians down at like just even mm-hmm. like the gas station guys that just are yeah. so nice i'm like i should tell them because i'm guessing that's a better job mm-hmm. for them better benefits a whole better yeah. long-term scenario i would imagine than I, working I, in a solo shop I think so. You know, I'm a little biased. Um, you know, there's, uh, we really focus on treating that service group really well and setting them up to win. They're the face of the company. You know, the, you, I'm not showing up at people's houses, right. Or offices, right. They are. And so, yeah. you know, we, we look and we have a very, you know, we spend a lot of time training. We have this thing called Wrench U, Wrench University. And, um, you know, it's a lot of training. It's not training someone how to fix a car because, you, you know, you've got to know how to do that. We're not right. how to be in the service business. Spot. But it's, yeah, how do you do it in the wrench way? And that is a lot of that is customer service. And so, you know, yeah. it's, you know, how do you show up? How do you address people? How do you, you know, it's all that. How do you do things in That's a mobile amazing. scenario? So, yeah. So, and you know, it's, we've got to find the right people. And, yeah. uh, and that's one of, that's the biggest thing we focus on. I love it. Love it. This is a, such a cool business ad. I am pumped. Thanks. Like I want to, I don't think my car yeah. actually got fixed, which is so annoying that I think I, I might just have to call wrench and have yeah. them deal with it. So what you is should. the most, yeah. what is yeah. the most requested service? You know, uh, so your basic mileage based things are probably the top stuff we do. Um, you know, and then it's your standard stuff, you know, brakes, you know, we, we also are really good, and this happens a lot, right? You come out and car doesn't start. It's one of three things, battery starter, alternator, right? We'll show up and fix that for you. It saves you a tow. It saves you calling AAA because AAA, I always remind people, they show up generally in a tow truck, and tow trucks like to do one thing, tow. So what's the busiest city? I know that you guys have expanded since you started. Where, where are you going to be expanding to, and what's your busiest city right now? Yeah, uh, good question. So, you know, we are nationwide on the inspection side. So all 50 states, Alaska, Hawaii, everywhere in between, you know, Maine to San Diego and and all over the place and moving into Canada on the inspection side into Toronto and into Vancouver. The maintenance and repair side, we do grow by metro areas and we are in 44, I was going to pause because we're continuing to launch and launch and launch, 44 markets across the U.S. right now. Um, Seattle is certainly big because it is where we started. Um, the biggest market right now that is kind of humming along is Atlanta, quite frankly. Um, yeah. So, you know, we do really, really well there. Part of that is Carvana. I don't know if you know the Carvana guys at all. They're, they're basically the world's biggest online used car lot. Um, um, but we are, a lot of the service side for them. We help them out a lot with the service because they are a virtual dealer and we are a virtual service department for dealers. Interesting. And, principal. Interesting. and so, and they started in Atlanta and we have a great partnership with them. And so we do really well there. Um, yeah. And Phoenix is another great market for us, but it's also on maturity, right? So yeah. the rest of it tends to follow sort of population, right? The, the one funny thing about this business, which is so unusual for most entrepreneurs and starting companies, we have an abundance of demand. So that is not our issue, right? I mean, everyone has a vehicle and everyone can relate to this problem. And so there is an abundance of just, you know, opportunity in it. It's a matter of us of how do we grow it in a thoughtful way to make sure we are living up to all our expectations with our customers and running the business in a a good way. 
Right. And not cutting any corners as far as the quality of the technicians and all that. I did see that you have a ton of openings for auto mechanics and technicians. And I'm curious how you go about finding these types of employees, aside from saying, hey, Sean, I work down the street and get the guy at the gas station. But like, truly, they're (laughs) not, it's not, it's not like old school recruiting, like I've learned, which is like, probably walking down the street, actually, because mm-hmm. I've been doing yeah. it before the internet, but yeah. but more um, LinkedIn, like, are they on LinkedIn? Like, how mm-hmm. are you finding these people? Yeah, they are, you know, so you know, keep in mind, these guys are, you know, they're, they go to trade school. These are, you know, they are trained and invested, you know, literally at times, tens of thousands of dollars in the tools. Yeah. These are I guess I always right? think of these, it as like corporate yeah. on LinkedIn. I always think of it as like yeah. off, office jobs on LinkedIn. Yeah, and I do too, right? And and it, but it's not it's not actually accurate, you know. And um, they are they have LinkedIn profiles, a lot of them. They you know, but you do have to find it. We have a recruiter, you know, a recruiting team that works explicitly just to hire technicians. Yeah, and that is what they do, and they are really good at that job. You know, going out and hiring our software engineers or you know, much harder. Not well. It's just it's actually not, the mechanics are almost you'd argue are harder to harder to find and harder to source than a software engineer right now. And yeah. so um, the you know different actually they're all I always kind of chuckle they're, they're actually kind of personality wires are similar um, you know they like they, well, it was just because they like building and fixing things you know yeah. what I mean that's kind of your engineering yeah. perspective and, and technicians if you think about you know we call them technicians but you know your mechanics and technicians they like fixing and problem solving that's what they're good at I mean I I can I, see that car is not not easy right and so. Um, you know, there is a very specific discipline to to source and, and vet and bring yeah. on board and make them successful. Yeah, well, I saw there. I mean, clearly you're growing. There's so many openings. Um, so how was this past, like the pandemic? I'm guessing it was probably good yeah. for your business because people didn't want to go. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's come back, and you're right. It's become a tailwind. But in the beginning, you know, I don't think we we're too different than many consumer businesses, where there certainly was a oh no, what does this all mean, right? Mm. People were not driving to work. They weren't driving on vacation. You know, so less miles on the car mean less. You know, you're not dealing with it as much, and so that certainly had an impact on us. But you're right. You know, people then said, all right, I got to get out instead of you know hopping on vacation and flying to wherever. I'm going to hop in the car and drive to wherever. And, you know, that has helped us. No one wants to go to a, a waiting room at a dealer or a shop and you find alternate transportation home via, you know, whatever, you know, yeah. a shuttle. But you know, it just they don't want to do that. And so that has been a good tailwind for us. We've kind of we've come out of I do think it's sort of forced us to to reevaluate some of the things in the business. And so I think we've come out of, you know, that um, not that we're out of the pandemic yet. I wish we were. Uh, but, you know. It, it forced us to kind of, you know, reevaluate a few things of how we were running the business. And I think we're a better run company today than we were, you know, March, if you will, of, uh, of 2020. Yeah. Interesting. And so what are the growth plans? And um, as far as funding, where are you in that whole cycle? And what are your plans there? Yeah. Um, so we just finished a round. Um, and Bridgestone, uh, which is a big, you know, they own Bridgestone and Firestone. Biggest uh, maintenance and repair, you know, shop, brick and mortar shop in the U.S. Bridgestone's the biggest tire company and maintenance repair mm-hmm. company on the planet. Um, is a big strategic partner of ours now, um, and so we're very excited about that. We are congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we'll be their mobile solution, and we're going to continue to grow. So when you think growth, you know, 
we're going to continue to you know work with them to grow uh, that footprint out and grow and help them kind of build out a, with the wrench brand a mobile solution for their customers that really kind of works in tandem with uh, their brick and mortar solution. Um, so we're excited about that, and that's where we are on, on the funding side. But we're you know yeah we're continuing to grow. We're in forty four-ish, you know, mid-40s of markets right now in our maintenance and repair business. We expect to be and we plan to be in a hundred markets, the top wow. 100 MSAs by the end of next year. Um, we'll have, you know, over 300 technicians that are doing maintenance and repair. Right now, we have over 5,000 inspectors that are out cruising around, you know, the U.S. for the most part doing inspections and that business is just really growing, and it's 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 growing on the the uh, the used car inspection. We also do a lot of other inspections for businesses, you know, whether it's warranty companies or insurance or you know off lease type things. We really are one of the larger inspection platforms that is out there. It's so cool. I, it's just you know I know I keep saying it, but I just think it's it's so fun for me when I love business and I love learning about entrepreneurs and their stories. But when it's so tangible and so easy to understand and it's so needed, like yeah. this company, it just gets I just get energy from it. It's incredible. Yeah. And so, how do you spend your time outside of wrench? I know you said you're eat, breathe, sleep it right now, um, but you've also got some kids and you've got your parents down the street and. You know, how are you spending your time outside of outside of work? Well, let's see. In, in a pandemic, you know, kind of era, it's a different answer than non-pandemic, right? You don't love to ski. Uh, ski, you know, bike you know, a lot. You know, those are kind of my two sort of like in like the outfit hobbies. type of biking or like mountain oh, biking. Oh yeah, road bike, mountain biking. Oh, sort of just got two wheels. Yeah. I'm in. I love it. I've you know downhill at the Whistler Mountain Bike Park. You know, I'm getting a little old for that, but I still don't think I am, which is a problem. Um, but you know, it, trying to keep up with both my kids, my daughter and my son on skis is always you know uh, I'm kind of shifting into that mode right now to try and get back in shape for that. <laughs> so you know, that's really it. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of. Yeah, time is precious, right? It flies by. You know, the family side is great. You know, my wife and I spend as much time with our kids as possible right now. They're uh, going into high school and one's in eighth grade, one's just starting high school right now. So, you know, that sort of is the is the the vast majority of things that are not yeah. wrench related. You know, yeah. entrepreneurialism is interesting because it's just never turned off, right? It's, you know, you, you do, you think about it. It's the first thing you think about, you know, what, whatever holiday you may come up with, you know, 4th of July, you know, New Year's, you know, Christmas, whatever, you know, day you come up, you're still like, oh, yeah, I wonder, you know, what about this? What about that? You know, you're not always necessarily in the office 24-7, but it's just always in the back of your mind. Of so, um, yeah. you know, that's always still kind of there. So what sets you up personally to kind of have a good day? Are there rituals or like oh, yeah. hey, every Sunday night I do this? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm loosely structured. And I, and I say that you know, um, you know, and there's a, a joke the guys have around here that was telling me, oh, I'm, I'm very flexible as long as it's everything set up exactly the way I want, which is the irony is hilarious. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I get up every day and I either go for a, a run or a ride or something. And I, you know, five, five thirty, get up, do that, you know, have a cup of coffee, quick meal, you know, get my kids ready to get them to school some way, shape or form and into the office and you know and then the office you know we do have some structured things you know we have structured things of you know some you know exec meeting monday morning 10 a.m to you know to uh uh kind of free kind of brainstorming sessions that are in there as well and, and things like that but without a doubt i would tell you that you know the the that first part of the day 
is really critical. The other thing is I also kind of over the years have figured out what parts of the day I should allocate to what type of thinking. Mm. I am way more creative in the morning than I am at you know the tail end of the day. The tail end of the day, I kind of use for more block and tackle type stuff. And I, and that really is sort of how I set up the day. So if I'm more, you know, whatever it may be, but if it is sort of, you know, writing or thinking through presentations or creative kind of structures, a strategy, anything like that, I try and get all that into the morning. What I just, I feel like I'm better at it at that point in time. And so I, I say that's sort of one of the things that I've learned kind of is just when I, how I should allocate time, not necessarily, you know, to what type of things I'm trying to get done. That's so smart. I like that. I'm going to take a little bit of that because I know it subconsciously, but I don't think I've put any sort of structure in it in any sort of formal way. Like this is when I, I know it though. Like my brain kind of. Is yeah. Like and it's a weird, it's kind of been hard to have the discipline to do that because you want to react to things that come in, in front mm-hmm. of you. And, right. you know, I get that like, Hey, will you reread? We want to send out an email to the company. And I'm like, yeah, I gotta wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to remember. That's I'm so gonna, smart. I will, I will rewrite that in the morning. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, whatever it may be, things like that, it's just like having the discipline to kind of understand that, yeah, there's nothing since that, you know, you can, you can wait 12 yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. smart. And so what would our listeners be surprised to learn about you? Oh, uh, I'm really actually quite boring. So let's see, surprised. Um, still, uh, still love going to Husky football games on Saturdays. Um, the, uh, you know, in the South lot, you know, tailgating with my goofy high school buddies and uh <laughs> and college That's buddies fun. um it is fun right you know um you know um be still you know love to travel my wife and i love to travel a ton you know so that's kind of you know as much as we can non-pandemic side and so that's always kind of understanding different cultures and, and exploring different parts of the world or has always been sort of a, a thing we've done together and really really enjoyed um and so, you know, that's, that certainly is, is, uh, is, I guess, not too surprising, if you will. Um, the biggest surprise I think everyone kind of chuckles at is that I literally live six blocks from my parents and I'm, you know, which is, and live on the same street that I grew up on. Okay, so Ed, here's my final question. What fuels you? What's your ultimate fuel? Problem solving, you know, complex problem solving. I mean, it really is it. And and I go back to that comment I made before, which I've never, and I've, I've, I've held true to this for every company I've started. I've never believed that complex problems are solved well in isolation. They're solved well with multiple perspectives, a diverse, you know, thought process that goes into it. And I love that, you know, that concept, because I really do believe that is the core to any business, any Problem solving and how you structure it and how you think through it is the same no matter what industry you're in. You know, the processes you can develop, the disciplines you can develop, and your, you know, kind of philosophical approaches that you can develop can be applicable in a lot of different industries. And so that's always been interesting to me is how do you identify cool problems and then get a group of people together to, you know, kind of champion a solution to those problems. And that's that's what I, I have the most fun doing. And it's what, you know, drives me to get up in the mornings. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.
Thank you.